This is the Resilient Disciples Podcast, powered by Awana. I'm Ross Cochran. You know who you are. Thank you for listening. I am really excited to bring you today's episode because for the past couple of weeks, we've been having conversations all about worship and spiritual formation. And if you're anything like me, you might be looking for a specific tool or method to get into the process of spiritual formation with the kids in your community. Our guest today, Jared Patrick Boyd, is an author, pastor, and founder of a religious order, the Order of Common Life, and he is an expert in a process known as imaginative prayer. You may have heard of imaginative prayer, or you may have no idea what I'm talking about, but either way, you can learn more about Jared via the show notes of today's episode and get his book that we reference a lot during the conversation. This methodology of prayer is deeply connected to the mission of child discipleship, and I'm excited for you to learn more about it. Jared starts the conversation discussing some of the pushback he receives with just the words imaginative prayer. Thanks for listening. This is the Resilient Disciples Podcast. A lot of people are like, well, you know, the heart is deceitful and it's like, are our minds going to lead us astray? And um, my experience is that when we're really focused on the scriptures, when we're focused on Christ among us, that um, God is not going to lead us astray. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the way I think about this as I read the Gospels, is Jesus is always using sort of a tactic to help people understand the kingdom. Sure. He's like, I want you to, you know, think about a guy that has two sons. <laughs> or, uh, you know, the kingdom of God is like a field, or it's like a farmer, or, you know, imagine somebody building their house on sand. You know, so he's, he's using this sort of uh, tactic of getting people to think of a picture in their mind to try to get some work done around what's the kingdom of God like. Now he doesn't use the word imagine. I suspect that's just a cultural thing, but um, that's how I think about when I think first of like how we use our imaginations for the, for the greater understanding of the work that God is trying to do. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then, but the tradition of imaginative prayer goes all the way back to, you know, the third and fourth century with the early fathers, they were doing this work. And so it's not new. It's very Christian. It's at the very core. Um, and I think people get real surprised when they hear that, wait a second, like we can actually use imagery in our, in our hearts, in our head, um, and invite, invite the spirit of God to, to speak to us through that. Totally. Well, and I think that I wanted to start there because I think that folks, I would almost say that spiritual formation as an idea sort of falls into a similar camp where it's this sort of this very popular word in the zeitgeist mm -hmm. right now. And therefore it, it means a bunch of different things to a bunch of different people. And you included a few kind of what seemed to be like guiding definitions for you in the context of the book, but for the purpose of this podcast, how do you even define spiritual formation? Yeah, I like, um, I think it's Robert Mulholland has a very simple definition that I, that I use in the book. There's very many definitions, but just being, being formed in the likeness of Christ for the sake of others. Yeah. I mean, this whole journey of discipleship, it's really just discipleship. It's being a learner of Jesus yeah. and recognizing that um, my job is the job of participation with the work that God wants to do in me. Totally. Well, and, and I, yeah, and, go ahead. I was just going to say that I think that folks, 
I wanted to start there so that folks understand not only the benefit, but also the drawback of handles, right? Like what we're talking yeah. about is, is putting labels on things that are key principles that are hundreds and thousands of years old in, in tenets of the faith potentially, but that um, I, I hope that people don't get tripped up by something as simple as what we're calling something and take the time to engage in this work because the process that you lay out in the book, lay out in the book. And I want to be really clear with folks that you take, I would argue great pains to sort of address people's concerns and satisfy the multiple different constituencies for lack of a better term around this idea of imaginative prayer. You lay out what is really a beautiful interaction or a beautiful series of interactions that anybody can have with their own kids or the kids in their communities by engaging in this process of, and we should probably clarify for folks, I'm going to do a bad job summarizing because I want people to get the book, but it's the idea of allowing your child, bringing your child into an imaginative space based around a scripture story or a story that is uh, analogous to scripture. And by doing so, you are creating a memory for your child that is a different experience than what they are probably experiencing in a sort of stereotypical Sunday school type of setting. And one of the things that I found most intriguing about it was that is more authentic to how we talk about adult relationships with Jesus. That's right. Because why do, yeah, why do you think that is? Well, I just think that we all, what we all really long for and what we're really created for is, um, participation with God. Like we're created to know God and to be known by God. And what imaginative prayer does is it helps you sort of, not that you're setting sort of your cerebral, you know, mechanism aside, but, but there's something to be said of entering into that imaginative space and trusting that God is going to come into that space and speak to you. And so I, I think for me, one of the most powerful moments was, um, I think I share this in the book, but I was literally on an airplane flying overseas to do mission work when I was like sort of imagining and slowly reading and meditating on the passage um, where Jesus tells this story about men who show up to work at nine in the morning and men who show up to work at four 30. And, you know, we got to the sort of end of the teaching lesson that Jesus is giving and, and um, you know, everyone gets paid the same. And I began to think, what it would be like to have been the person who rove at nine o'clock in the morning and got paid the same. And I, and I felt a stinginess in my heart. And then I spent some time just imagining what it would have been like to show up at four 30 and to receive this, this gracious thing. And I just began to weep because I just felt like God began to say, this is what it's like for you. Like it's all grace. It's all gift. And so but having that sort of firsthand experience of yeah. God leading me through that process um, was powerful. And I think that's what we want in our life with God. If we're really honest, we want God. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out, and, right? Yeah. Because I think, um, yeah, I just, I think that folks who, um, who this is going to feel like an entirely new and uncomfortable thing. I, I'm so grateful for that story because it helps people understand that this is something that they're doing a version of in their life, probably, hopefully, right? That they are, they are encountering God in that sort of um, real uh, 
the word that comes to mind for me right now is like dense kind of way in their own life. And this is providing a context to do that with kids and kids. And you make this point in the book are better at this than we are. Mm-hmm. Now the book is, I, th- I think it's fair to say, correct me if I'm wrong, obviously, but the book is primarily geared towards parents. And I want to talk about that in a second, but how do you begin to define the role and relationship for the church leader or the kidman pastor who's involved in the discipleship journey of a child? What does that balance look like for you? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's actually a really important question for the church right now, because um, I think what many of us who are pastoring and leading in environments are noticing is that um, the pandemic has done a lot of work revealing um, lots and lots of things. Um, I could fill in the blanks, but I think everyone knows that the church is struggling right now. Um, And my perspective and people think differently than I do about this, but my perspective is that our primary orientation towards the kids in our church should be towards equipping the parents to really take an active role. Now there's a partnership, of course, but one of the things that I feel really strongly about is that we can only lead our children spiritually to the degree that we are engaged with the Lord in life ourselves. And I think maybe the, I don't mean it to be a harsh critique, but I think most parents are super busy, super tired, and they tend to drop kids off at church expecting the church to do the work of spiritual formation or discipleship for their kid. And I'm, I'm consciously pushing back on that and basically saying to parents, listen, um, God wants your kids and he wants to form them and he's going to do it. And it doesn't have to be through you, but it could be through you. And so um, could you lean in and experience God for yourself? And then you actually have something to give away. Yeah, no, that's a great point too. Because I think one of the things that I'm mindful of is that in this current moment, that the church, there are many church leaders who are listening to this, who are having to make those kinds of choices and are having to do so with families who, as you said, like to fill in one of the blanks, are not as committed now as they were before. That's right. And I think, but I think to your point, the mistake that of we as the church can make, we as the body can make, is trying to overcompensate and overcorrect. And then as a result, we wind up actually fueling more of that drop our kids off mentality when it just isn't, you are never going to spend as much time being able to shape the lives of a kid in your church community as you are as the kids who are in your home. Now, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to, I was just going to amen what you just said <laughs> with another sort of idea, which is, you know, there's this principle in the counseling world, which is to say, you never want to work harder than the person that you're counseling is willing to work. Sure. And I think this goes a long way for pastors. I think pastors are working too hard and, and all of that work is now I don't, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm happy to work super hard as a pastor, but um, if I'm pastoring families, like I want people in that family to actually like bear a portion of the weight and responsibility. And that's the moment I think we're at. And that's sort of some of the work that my book is trying to do. It was imagined as a way like a church could sort of buy a bunch of books, put it in the hands of their parents 
have parents doing some of the work at home and then having Sunday morning or Wednesday night be the reinforcing moment. Um, but then we're all doing something together. Yeah. And that's the idea of, of how the book is structured. And uh, I've turned some of the book into video course material on, on my website. That's how that's structured as well, is that uh, I just want to be uh, able to provide a tool for churches and families to partner together. Yeah. How do you, and to that end then, how do you distinguish between the practice of imaginative prayer and spiritual formation more broadly? Is this some, is as simple as this is a tool that folks can use or how, because I think folks are probably unfamiliar with spiritual formation. Like how do you begin to draw those lines or do you even have to? Yeah. Um, I think one of the ways that I would think about spiritual formation is um, there's really two parts. There's getting a clear view of, of the person of God yeah, and then getting a clear view of the person that you are. Sure. And I think most people generally have one of those a little askew and the process is, is coming to terms with the truth of those two persons. So you can have a very accurate view of God and a very inaccurate view of yourself. And there's going to be no real formational work that's able to happen. That's why like self-awareness and, you know, gosh, why did I get so frustrated when my daughter like spilled the milk? Like I should think about that. I should pray yeah. about that. Um, and then the sort of flip side, and this is where like some of the contemplative and spiritual formation world gets a big pushback is just knowing yourself and, you know, knowing your Enneagram type or whatever is hot <laughs> and, and uh, good right now is not going to actually do the work of formation. You actually have to draw near to God. Yeah. And, um, and draw near to a God that is real, not one that is made up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, it, it turns out the, I'm a nine and that's why Enneagram shirt that I got is, is really not that actually that helpful for folks. Um, so I want to kind of dive more into the, what this looks like practically and what this looks like for churches and homes to live this out well. So when you, I think you know, you wrote this book a couple of years ago, and I think it's important for people to have that context because now this is a particular unique moment in the history of the church, like you were alluding to. How do you feel like parents in this moment can resonate with what you're talking about? What do you feel like is some of the more helpful things from this book, even before they're diving into imaginative prayer that um, are especially needed for parents in this, in this sort of almost post-pandemic world? Yeah. Um, I think one of the, one of the sort of underlying frameworks of a lot of the work I'm trying to do is this idea. I'm trying to help parents become really honest in their, in their reality. And the reality is, is that we've all struggled this year. We've all had a hard year. Um, and I think giving parents permission to appropriately talk to their kids about their own life with God and how hard it is. Yeah. Um, So like, for example, you know, we've had conversations in our home. I'll just, I'll just, I'll just go for it, man. This is the conversation (laughs) that we've had in our home over the past year, probably around September. I said, I pulled each of my kids aside one-on-one and I just said to them, listen, I need you to know that you have permission 
to fall apart here at home. You want to cry. You want to get angry. You want to stomp your feet. You want to, you know, just sit next to me and tell me how terrible things are. You get to do that because that's what this house is for. Yeah. Um, and I just need to let you know that I have people in my life that I get to fall apart with. So I pay a counselor once a month that I fall apart with. <laughs> I have a spiritual director that I can fall apart with. Yeah. So daddy is doing that work outside the home so that I can be able to, to be present to you to do that work. That's my job as a dad. Yeah. And for each of the girls, um, they had different responses, but at some point in time, each of them finally came to me and fell apart. Yeah. But that's a level of like real honesty that I think I'm trying to give parents permission to be in relationship with their children in a real authentic way about our own life with God. Yeah. So I talk and tell stories about it in the book where what I'm trying to do in each lesson is to help parents grapple with the concept that I'm trying to introduce in their own life with God, and then to give them some language and tools around engaging their children, not just in the conversation about the imaginative prayer or about the lesson sort of conceptually, but to engage their children in here's how I'm experiencing the love of God, or I have a, a chapter on being lost and what it's like to be lost. And so I, I ask the parents, like, share with your kid a time that you felt lost and a time yeah. that you felt like God rescued you. I think our kids need to hear us um, struggle a little in the world because that's the reality of their faith life that they're going to get introduced to eventually. And I wish yeah. somebody would have warned me ahead of time. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Were you at the Child Discipleship Forum? If you missed it, I want you to go to childdiscipleshipsimulcast.com right now. There you're going to see information about how to access content from the forum in a video on demand format so that you can quickly access the speakers that will resonate the most with your ministry context. The last thing any of us at Awana would want is for the conversations that started at the forum to end at the forum. Continue the conversation at childdiscipleshipsimulcast.com. <laughs> so this is not necessarily even necessarily tied to your book, but you were someone who has a perspective on this that I think is valuable. And again, I don't quite know the right way to ask this question other than why is that so hard? Because I think every parent who listens to this knows what those moments feel like. Every person who's inv who's invested in the life of a kid knows what it's like and how fruitful it is to be vulnerable, to be, to engage in that level of authentic relationship like you're describing with your own daughters. And yet we so often choose the more surface level interaction. We choose to um, shield that part of ourselves with our kids. Has that always been a problem? Is that a new, relatively new thing? Like, why is this so challenging just from your perspective? Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm not like a sociologist or anything, but um, I've read a lot of books and I think I would just say that I think, I think the church in general is growing in capacity to be honest about what's happening on the inside. So I think it's hard for us because it wasn't modeled for us and it wasn't modeled for us is because it wasn't modeled for our parents. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I think there's a greater 
maybe there's a greater sense, at least in the church world that I live in, like, that's the funny thing. The other thing that we're discovering in church world right now is that everyone's living in their own church world. (laughs) And in my church world environment, we talk a lot about um, how important it is to recognize that, yeah, listen, sin is a problem, but God is so gracious and he is so committed to our healing um, that we can actually just say um, what is actually happening without shame and without feeling guilt. I grew up in an environment and I don't necessarily fault anybody for this. This is just how I lived in that environment, just feeling very full of shame about the things that I was doing wrong. And I just don't think that's the way we're supposed to feel. I think we're supposed to feel like we should be able to approach the throne of grace with confidence as the writer of Hebrew says, and to get what we need. And so I think what's happening is that the church, that the spirit of God is growing the church to the degree that we're actually able to have some humility where we're able to maybe say to our little people, Hey buddy, I screwed up. I'm really sorry. Here's how I screwed up. Will you please forgive me? And that, teaches forgiveness better than, you know, memorizing scriptures about <laughs> forgiveness. I mean, and I'm all for like memorization, but yeah, um, that's like a real life parable in front of my kids' eyes at the dinner table. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and that again, like, I think folks, you know, you can't, you can't fix a problem until you identify it. Right. And I think it's so crucial that there are voices like yours who are able to call that out within the context of the church. And also because of your focus on kids, it does show the urgency of getting this moment right. Mm. And I think you speak to, you know, that it is hard to do a behavior, to model a behavior that you yourself weren't modeled for or modeled, that was not modeled to you. However, embracing that work, embracing the difficulties, embracing the ways that you're going to fall apart, that you yourself will fall apart in that um, can be really impactful for your kids. And it can be something that allows, you know, every week on this podcast, we talk about how the church of 2050 and the world of 2050 is going to look so much drastically different than the world of 1990 or, Mm. um, you know, 2020, certainly. And too much of the conversations we have around children's ministry are not reflective of that difference. And I think what you're talking about here is a tool that can help folks actually engage in what we call resilient child discipleship. The book I should make sure people understand is imaginative prayer, a year long guide for your child's spiritual formation. And I want to ask probably a pretty obvious question, but I think it's important for folks. Why a year? Hmm. Yeah. um, It's a great question. It's technically, if you just, if you're like really killing it and you did it straight through, it would take you about nine months. Um, but a year sounds better on the cover. Yeah, for sure. And truth be told, what I was also trying to communicate to people is um, even if it takes you 12 months to do something that's written down for you to do in nine months, it's worth doing. Yes. Thank so you. we need, we need breaks. Like we can't just like crush it all the time. And so we like throughout the, throughout the material, uh, which is made up of, of, uh, of six kind of major, major units. Um, there are 
review weeks and sort of rest weeks every seven weeks um, for this reason. And then also I just encourage parents like, look, if your family is like struggling, you know, in some way or things get busy, like hit the pause button. It's okay. Yeah. Um, try not to leave it behind for too long because, you know, the other thing that this, this book is meant to try to do is it's, it's got like a little bit of an imaginative prayer catechesis built into it. Okay. So I don't know if your listeners are familiar with the language around catechism or catechesis, um, but just sort of like some, some sort of historically doctrinally driven statements. Mm -hmm. So I try to do some of that catechism work through imaginative prayer. And then there's an opportunity for kids to memorize what I have called a creedal poem. Um, and, you know, if you take too much time off of memorization work, you know, it's hard to pick back up, but right. that's like a super like low, you know, pressure moment in my book where it's like, I just basically say, look, some kids love memorization. Other kids can't stand it. And you should just do whatever your kid wants here. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking to a primarily a one, a one audience, you are preaching to the choir in that regard, because I think one of the things that's so important about what you're saying is it, it gives you, you grace and it gives your child grace. And I keep coming back to how resilient child discipleship is not a hurried process. That's right. And I love how you in the book really lay out a framework for people. Like it is, it, it can feel very prescriptive in a good way of, okay, I do this and then I do this and I take a break for this amount of time and that kind of thing. But it is inherently built around an understanding that the child that the leader who's reading this is looking at, or the parent who's reading this is looking at, is going to be different than any other child that any other parent is looking at. That's and right. You've built in that grace for folks. That I think is so critical not to mention for, a, you know, a guy who had my high school and college GPA, I appreciate the extra time. Um, because I think folks need, need that in order to be able to begin to live that out in a non hurried frenetic. Oh, this is another thing on my to-do list kind of way. Yeah. I think you say it really well. I think, um, formation is slow work and, and I think I'm just trying to help. I do want to provide some tools, but I, I would love to say to parents, um, you're, I'm, I bet you're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and if we can take the long view and what I've often seen is that people want like immediate fruit to, mm -hmm sort of kids ministry work. They want to be able to, you know, pin something on the fridge or something like that. And that stuff's great. This is doing something different. This is like, I don't think that most people get to see the fruit of the kind of work I'm trying to do with kids until years down the road. Yeah. Um, so we're just like, did you ever see that movie inception? Yes. So I think basically what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to do inception on our kids <laughs> for the long, I'm trying to get these gospel stories to get the character of God, the love of God, the kindness of God, and the truth of scripture into them at a young age in an imaginative way that later on, they're not going to actually know where it came from, but it'll be there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you were literally writing, the, you know, God's word on their hearts by doing this type of work. And, but I think the distinction, or I shouldn't even say the distinction, a distinction is that you are not this work is not uh, about 
teaching. This work is not about um, instruction or even memorization, despite being able to have the opportunity to memorize that at home. It is instead experiential. That's and right. You know, the, the, the area of your brain that lights up when you're dreaming or when you have a memory is, is similar and connected to the area of your brain that lights up when you imagine something. Yeah. And that's sort of how the memory sort of works. So if you were to imagine right now sort of skydiving um, and you were to really spend some time like with that image, um, even though you've never sort of been skydiving, you have something like a memory right now. Sure. Um, and so that's the work that we do on like a Sunday morning. And then we send the parents home with questions and the imaginative prayer. And we basically say to the parents, Hey, here are some questions that you can engage your kid with this week that relates to the material that we, that we dealt with on Sunday. And these are more like, um, kind of spiritual direction kinds of questions. Um, so, uh, you know, we are fostering dialogue around some things, but what we're trying to get at is not what the child thinks about that particular passage, but, you know, let's say we do imaginative prayer around forgiveness and we, we do some work around what does it mean to forgive someone that's hurt you? We may instruct the parent to say, hey, you know, is there anybody at your school right now that you feel like hard hearted towards? I, w- I wonder why that is. Can you think back to any, any situation? And I wonder, I wonder if you could pray about that to see if God would speak to you about that. So we're just trying to help the parent guide their child in support of the work that we're laying down on like a Sunday morning. Yeah. Um, so that's the real practicality. There's Sunday morning or Wednesday night engagement. And Awana is like a big Wednesday night thing, right? Is that, that's yeah, for, for a lot of churches. Yeah. Okay. So it could be introduced in that, in that context. And then the, and then the parents are sort of like just doing little bits, like 10 minutes a day of mm-hmm. just real questions, real engagement um, asking the child to review his or her day at the end of the day. You know, we tuck our kids in at night. So that's always been a great space to just say, hey, like, tell me how your day went. And, you know, we're talking about forgiveness this week. You know, is there anybody that yeah. you need to forgive from today? Um, you know, so that's the kind of really practical nuts and bolts stuff that we're asking. Resilient Disciples Podcast is powered by Awana. Thanks to the donations of generous folks like you, Awana partners with 62,000 churches in 130 countries to make Resilient Disciples. When you give to Awana, you are investing in lasting faith. Young people who will engage the culture with the gospel and fearlessly lead the church into the future. To make a donation to this mission, go to awana.org slash donate. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode and go to resilientdisciples.com for more resources and many more of these conversations. The podcast is mixed, edited, produced, and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. Our theme song is Fresh Air by Christian hip-hop artist Josiah Williams and Hits by Jude. You also heard I'll Let Go, provided by Josiah Williams from his album Rerouting 2. Thank you for listening. We'll talk again next week. Mm